Okay, good morning, everyone. And again, thank you for another wonderful week of uh, your perseverance and pushing ahead. Uh, the craziness is all around us, but somehow we have this little refuge called Valley Torah where we, Baruch Hashem, could gather every day and uh, keep our sanity. Uh, talking about sanity, it's uh, there's a really incredibly dramatic episode that I really uh, like talking about almost on a yearly basis because the concept that uh, this episode teaches us according to Chaim Shalev it really offers us an incredible uh, insight and strategy to how to be successful in life and I'm referring to the Vayivosa Yaakov Lovado the episode where Yaakov gets left behind he goes back for some from small jars, and he's alone, and there is a a battle, a battle that goes on. Vayovek Ishimoi. There is a Vayovek Ishimoi Adalosa Shachar. Yaakov and this Ish, as the Mefarshim say, it's a Sarshal Esav. This is some some embodiment of of evil, some spiritual powerhouse of an of a thing or an individual. Whatever you want to call it, Sar Shalaisav, Hu Malachamavis, Hu Sutton, Hu Yetzahara. It's a lot of negative stuff all, all sort of rolled into one. And this is this angelic power that is battling Yaakov throughout the night. And when you think about the fact that Yaakov is battling this, this force, this uh, demonic, this powerful, strong, negative force, you can imagine, Rabbi said, that what's going on here is not some small little you know, wrestling match that we can picture a couple of people just, you know, rolling around in the dirt and just sort of uh, trying to figure out who's stronger. This was an unbelievable battle of spiritual forces, negative versus positive, that would have repercussions throughout the centuries, throughout the ages. So something very, very great was happening here. Clearly we can't fully comprehend it, but we can learn some amazing things about what transpired here this particular night into the next morning. So, what happens the very next part? The angel says, I gotta go. You gotta send me away. So Yaakov asked for bracha. Again, very, uh, sort of a really a, opens up the, the, the idea of what is his bracha exactly, but if, if he's asking for bracha, while there are certainly negative forces within this being that he's wrestling, he also there is a potential power for incredible greatness. But again, we're not going to focus on that right now. And um, he says, Okay, he changes his name to Yisrael. And Vayishal Yaakov Vayomer Hagidu No very interesting pasuk that Rechaim Shalevitz points out needs to be explained because here, in pasuk Lamed, Yaakov says, "What? Tell me your name." To which the Malach responds, He responds, "Why do you want to know my name?" And he gave him a bracha. And this is a very unusual little back and forth here between Yaakov and Sar Shalesov. If if if, there, if this conversation goes nowhere. 
If basically Yaakov asks, what's your name? And the answer is, it's none of your business. I'm not going to tell you my name. Well, then don't tell, what do you have to tell me that for? What's, what's the point of the question? What's the point of the answer in terms of our knowledge of what really transpired? The Torah is not a history book to just tell you uh, sort of uh, uh, hanging statements that don't really go anywhere, don't teach us anything. And he explains, teaches us a lot. And there is an answer to this question. When Yaakov said, Hagidu no shemecha, when Yaakov was, was wrestling with the Sasha Lesov and he says, I will let you go, but first you have to tell me your name. He wasn't interested about what particular name this Sasha Lesov had. He was asking something uh, of a deeper nature. When we know about names, when we think about names from the Torah's point of view, a name has something way deeper than just a mere name. Another very important uh, conversation to have, we're not, we're, which we're not going to focus on right now, but when we give a name to a particular child, we don't pick the sort of the latest fad names that unfortunately will go on. I've noticed now in the sports world, almost every 10 years, there's a whole new batch of names. They add an L.A. in the front or something else in the back, la this, la those, uh, you know, a, a new, a new a, add a prefix, add a suffix, and they come up with a new name every 10 years. That's not Klyosrael. We give people names at a bris. And that Amisha Berach for, for a young girl, a baby girl that's born to Klai Yisrael, that has tremendous implications because the name defines the essence of that particular individual. We call somebody Yosef. We call somebody Yaakov. We are, we are trying to instill the greatness of, of those people, whether it's Yaakov Avinu, Yitzchak Avinu, or a grandfather or a great-grandfather who had special merits, a great-grandmother that had special qualities, and we give that name, we are injecting into that particular child those special qualities. And we're, we are praying and hoping that the name is the embodiment of the qualities of, of this particular child. So Shemecha means your essence. Shemecha means your true modus operandi. What are you really? And what Yaakov was asking Rabbi Isai is really a question that has plagued the ages throughout all of history, and we see it in our times, we've seen it in recent history again and again and again. Yaakov Vino asked a question that, that literally is the maybe one of the most important questions we can ever ask. How is it? Mashemecha, you the eight Sahara, you are so adept at accomplishing your goal. You get people to do things all the time that don't seem to make any sense. You put up this, these, these allures in front of people. You get people to, to do things that are so self-destructive. You get people at the pinnacle of their careers doing things that end up being the complete embodiment of embarrassment and shame. How could that happen? How do people who are on top of the world sort of give it all up and become the laughing stock of humanity simply because they couldn't control themselves? I, I refer to, uh, very often when I speak about this topic, I remember, and we probably could have other examples in the last uh, 20 years, uh, maybe just as, just as great, but I remember Gary Hart. I'm going back now, I think it's to the 70s. I'm, I remember Gary Hart. This is this uh, young superstar politician on top of the world. He was a favorite to win the presidency. He was going around campaigning in... He was a youngish fellow, and he had some rumors about him, about inappropriate activity. And remember, he calls a press conference, and he says to the millions of people watching on this press conference, all of the, the TV shows are carrying all the news channels are carrying it, and he says, you know, I've been accused of some inappropriate stuff, and I, I want to say it's a complete lie. I, I, without question, categorically deny all accusations, and I'm telling the press, you can follow me around night and day. 
And you will see that I do nothing wrong. I'm not a person of doing all these inappropriate things that I'm being accused of. I don't remember if he was married or not, but maybe if he was married, he was saying I'm a loyal husband. I don't, that part I don't really remember so clearly. But one thing for sure, I'm not, I'm not some womanizer who's running around doing uh, immoral things. And I, I, didn't, I don't know if it take two, took two days, three days, four days, but within a very short period of time, this Gary Hart, who was on top of the world, who was, who was on his way to the presidency, would have been the most powerful man in the world from that point of view of, of, of a, the power of a president, president of the United States, and, the, and, and, and what it would mean and where he would go down in history. And because he challenged the, the press to actually follow him around, and some reporters actually you know, took him up on, on the offer, okay, and, and they followed him around. And next thing you know, within a few days, headlines, Gary Hart found coming out of some uh, sleazy place and clearly involved in inappropriate activity. And here's a man who all he had to do was just keep to the words that he said. All he had to do was just follow what he committed himself to and just be a mensch, be a mensch. Couldn't do it. How does it happen? How, does, how do intelligent people not see what's right in front of their faces in terms of the implications of their actions, of what it means? How is it? I remember, I don't remember all the details, I remember in some interview I saw on, uh, probably on, on a YouTube video of, of this uh, genius, we all know this guy, Do- um, Hawking, Stephen Hawking's, and somebody was interviewing him, challenging him about the, the source of the universe and how this all happened and, and, you know, and this and that. Well, you know, all these big bangs and all these you know, really wild theories of just things coming out of nowhere. And it was, and the, and the person interviewing him was, was pressuring him that, come on. I mean, obviously the, the sort of the interviewer was pushing the idea that, you know, some, let's not call it God, but some, some uh, supreme power of intelligent, uh, of intelligent force and intelligent design must have had a, 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 an input of putting this universe together. And he, he kept pushing him and hit this 160 IQ genius and, and no one can argue about his brain power. But what he, he, had, he literally said with a straight face, well, aliens could have been involved. Aliens. Okay, so th- this is your answer to the source of the universe. So we might choose God, but you're going to choose aliens. And we won't get into how the aliens got here. That's a lot of the story. So aliens. He said it with a straight face. I've, had other, I've heard it from other people too. So let me understand this. You're this you know, raving genius with, with 12 PhDs, and you're telling me the only explanation you have to avoid God is coming up with aliens? Yeah. That, and that happens all the time in situations again and again and again. Yaakov Avinu was asking the Sarashalais of, can you, just, can you just tell me how you do it? How do you get such intelligent people to make the most unbelievably stupid decision to destroy your life because you put some allure in front of them, you put a Yetzirah in front of them, they want to have an agenda because I can't accept God or I can't accept not caving into my Yetzirah. And, and how do you get these people to self-destruct like this? How do you do it? We see it time and time again and in our own lives, in our own, you know, maybe not as dramatic in terms of the front pages, but in our own lives, do we not? Sometimes stop and ask ourselves, I know this is wrong. I know this is unacceptable. I know that I'm going to have to give an accounting and I, and I can't stop. I can't stop. I, I, just, don't, don't you want to just look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, why are you doing this? So, so Yaakov Avinu wanted to know 
For the sake of the future generations, how do you do it, Yetzirah? How are you so successful at having people self-destruct and not asking themselves the fundamental questions of what, am, what in the world am I doing here? And how can I be doing this? And the Yetzirah basically said to Yaakov, you, you basically nailed it. I have an incredible power. I have an incredible power, and if you know the power that I have, then you'll know how to defeat my power. You're gonna, you'll, you'll know how to outsmart me. Not easy, but you can do it. Because what's my... Vayoyimer, and he answers him back when Yaakov says, Hagidu no Shmecha, tell me your essence, tell me your strategy. He didn't say, why are you asking? It's none, of my, it's none of your business. He answered the question according to Chaim Shulevitz. He said, this is my philosophy. I get people to adopt the mindset of not asking, of not thinking, of not probing, of sort of putting blinders on for this particular issue. And we see it, we literally see it in the world that when, it, when you challenge people about what they're doing with their lives and you sort of get them into an agitated state, that's it, don't, don't ask. It's not a question. What do you mean, not a question? You, you have a good answer? I don't have a good answer. But there are people who are able to sort of live in that, with that question. And they're able to adopt a, a, a path in life that doesn't involve tough questions. Don't ask my don't ask me my questions. I've coined it uh, many years ago already. I you know to me and while I'm sure Nike, I'm not sure if Nike meant this when they said and they wrote the words "just do it." Okay, and then who knows how many billions they've made on that on that model since then. But uh, it's really something that, again, if you, if you read it the wrong way or maybe take, take it uh, t- to this message, that's exactly what the Torah gets us to do. Just do it. Don't ask questions. If it feels good, if, it, if the, if the taiva is there, the desire is there, you have a lustful feeling, don't stop and sort of hold back and ask yourself the fundamental, uh, fundamental question, what is tomorrow going to bring? What, is, what are the repercussions of this particular act? What's it going to do for the rest of my life? What's it going to do for my marriage? What's it going to do in terms of my kids? And, and, and the laughing stock that I might become as on the front pages. And, and I remember the story that was, uh, unfortunately, we've had people uh, from our, commu- our community who spent time in jail for financial crimes, sort of white-collar crimes. That, and I remember the, I wasn't there. I wasn't there at the hearing. But the story of people who were there said the judge asked this fellow worth millions and millions of dollars. And he pulled some shenanigans, which cost him time in federal penitentiary. And he played some games, and he pulled some shtick. And the judge says, I don't understand. For $100,000, you, you play these games? For what, $200,000? That's you? That's chump change. Half a million dollars. You got, you got hundreds of millions of dollars. So you're going to risk everything to, to, to advance yourself for a few hundred thousand dollars? Like, what were you thinking? And basically, he had no answer. The answer is, I wasn't thinking. The answer is, no, it's not gonna, I can't get caught. You can't get caught? Not possible for you to get caught? Of course it's possible. And, and unfortunately he did, as many others did. And we see it in so many different ways. This is the persona. This is the, so the, the uh, essence of the Yetzirah in, in blinding us. That's why the Mesilsa Sharm is so clear when he talks about it in the very beginning of his Sefer, in the second parak. That, that the idea of thinking, the idea that this was power strategy, power strategy was keep them working, don't get them to ask questions, we just, just keep those Jews busy, busy, busy. Don't let them probe, don't let them stop and to reflect and to analyze, what's my life about? Why did God put me here? What am I really doing? And because if the Jews were able to, to, to get into that spiritual mindset 
and overcome where they were at spiritually, we know they sunk to the 49th level of Tumah. If they're able to stop rising, 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 power was well aware that Jewish power is, is basically, it's unlimited. Because as we grow in our spirituality, that's how we grow in our power. So our power is to ask questions. Our power is to probe and to think, what is this all about? Why are we here? You, ask, you stop and you ask people, you know, how did Judaism start? So the three million people were, were, were what? They were duped? HaKadosh Baruch Hu spoke clearly in the Torah to three million Jews and said, Now you don't want to believe that? Yeah, it didn't happen. So what did happen? It doesn't, something happened. And honestly, I once had a kid in my office and, and we got into this discussion about the plausible nature of Torah not being Misenite. Can you try to maybe explain to me how this whole Jewish history happened if Torah Sinai wasn't true? Let's sort of figure it out. And it's really extremely challenging to figure it out. In fact, it can't really be figured out. The only plausible way that we are all here as Jews is that it did happen in the year 2448. And there was a Torah given to us. And we, were, and we gave it over from generation to generation because it is true, because we knew it was true. And that's why we're willing to, we're willing to die for it. That's why it's what makes us who we are, this incredible people called the Jewish, the Jewish nation. But let's try to figure out how, let's assume it didn't happen, which is what a lot of people like to assume. Ah, Judaism, what? It's like any other, it's like, it's different than any other religion. It's some nice story. It's a fable story. So, okay, how did it get from a fable to where we are today? Now, how did it get to the fable till with David and the Nevi'im? And Nanshe Kesagdola, and to the Tanoim, and to the Amoraim, and to the Ga'inim, and to the Rishonim, and to the Achreinim, and to us. How did it all, let's all play out this, this sort of, this fantasy of it didn't really happen. It wasn't really an event, which is pretty much what the rest of the world, who doesn't want to buy into, into Torah believe. I once had a kid in my office, and he basically also came up with the same aliens. I'm, I'm serious. Aliens. It was a mind game. So some space thing came down and stole the mind of three million Jews, got us to believe what we saw. So that's what we're going to rely on. Not to, we won't be from Jews because we're going to believe aliens controlled our minds in the year 2448 or so. But you know what? There are people who can get into that mindset and not ask questions, not be honest with themselves. Mm, I'm on the fast lane. I'm having a good time, so I'm not going to ask any questions. And even that sometimes, what are you doing on the fast lane? What are you doing in the car? And I joke with my guys. And I, when I get laughs, when I joke like this, I don't like that I get laughs. With the guys are sitting in the car and, and the guy's driving and because the guy cuts you off or gives you a dirty look and then they're, they're getting faster, faster. Go, go get him, go get him. And we're, we're having a good time. We're going 85 miles an hour, 90. We're weaving through traffic to get this guy to what? <laughs> what is that? So. You're not going to get into an accident? Can't happen. No one, no one has ever died on the highway. Not it happens. Just no, there are no accidents in a year, any time during the year. Insurance rates for teenagers don't go higher because, because they're reckless, because they don't ask questions about, about crazy driving in, in, the, in, in crazy situations where people are going at, at high speeds. What, what are you doing? That's it. Don't ask any questions. Don't ask about, is this really worth it? Is the risk that I'm taking and pushing my driver, who maybe he's experienced, what, got three months under his belt of driving, and I'm forcing him, oh, go, 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 and we're, we're in, the, in the car screaming louder and louder for this guy to go and weave around. That makes sense. That makes no sense either. That's also Yetzirah. 
a very dangerous one. Rabbi say this is this incredible back and forth between Yaakov and Sarah Shalesov. And the message for us is to slow down and ask questions. All right, that's who we are. We are, innate, we are people of the book. And the reason why we have thousands upon thousands of svarim, because that's, who, that's what we do. We ask questions. We don't take things at face value. We probe and we analyze. We look into the depth of situations and say, where is this going to get me? And how do you know this? And where do you know it from? And let's get to the source. And let's just see what exactly is going to happen. This is the message that we have to understand from this incredible pasuk. And this is the message that will lead to success in life. To slow the situation down. To ask ourselves, when the Eitzhara puts up that veneer, puts up that facade, puts up that, that allure in front of us, take it easy. Okay, maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't. But you know, I'm going to ask myself first, where am I, what am I going to get from this? Where's it going to take me? What are the risks involved? What are the pros and what are the cons? And more often than not, if we're in that mindset, Bez Hashem, we will be successful. Let's learn this incredible message. Let's ask. Let's be Shoelishmi. What is the name of this particular little voice that's talking to me right now? Is it a good voice or is it a bad voice? Is it going to get me to a good place or get me to a bad place? And Bez Hashem, if we can do that, we will be able to make the right decisions. We'll be able to rise to the occasion. We'll be able to meet the challenges of life arrive at the right conclusions, see the MS, and that's what's called Michael Choyl, and Bezoycha de Bias Meshach, and Hemimenu. Chavis.